from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Washington Watch. Coming up... Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Let me say, first of all, the last three days of hearings have revealed very good news. They have revealed the news that Judge Barrett is going to be confirmed by this committee and by the full Senate. That was Texas Senator Ted Cruz, member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Earlier today is day three of Judge Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing took place on Capitol Hill. What new ground was plowed today? We'll talk about it with Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. And what impact, if any, is the Supreme Court confirmation hearing having on the election? Scott Rasmussen is here with the latest polling. We'll also get an update on what Scott's seeing in key states as it pertains to the presidential race. Just like the media has used the coronavirus to scare Americans into conformity to their agenda, Democrats from day one of Judge Barrett's nomination have been scaring Americans with the claim that a Justice Barrett would take away their health care. The Democrats claim the Republicans want to keep Americans from having health care and will use the courts to accomplish that. How can they say that with a straight face? I quite frankly don't know. Kansas Congressman Roger Marshall, chairman of the Republican Study Committee's task force on health care, will be here to set the record straight. And finally, General Jerry Boykin joins me to discuss the Stand Courageous Men's Conference happening this Saturday in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And He'll have uh, information on how you can be a part of it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to be on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. And uh, let me remind you once again, because we had some clips yesterday from the Freedom Sunday program that we had at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Southern California. It's still, still getting tremendous feedback. It was a powerful program. If you missed it, I encourage you to check it out. You can go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over, or uh, a more direct route, FreedomSunday2020.com. Also coming up tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. Uh, This will be the seventh edition of our pre-election Pray, Vote, Stand coverage. 30 minutes, you're going to hear more about the agenda, the commonalities between the agenda that is closing our churches, terrorizing our streets, what do they have in common? We're going to talk about that tonight. We'll be joined by former Congressman Dave Bratt. Uh, he'll be talking. He's from uh, Liberty University, dean of the School of Business. We're going to be talking about the agenda that is driving the left. All right, the third day of confirmation hearings solidified a couple of things. Number one, Amy Coney Barrett is impressive. In fact, very impressive. The Democrats, knowing they're about to lose their uber legislature, the Supreme Court, are desperate. Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois again suggested Judge Barrett was a threat to the future of Obamacare and, by extension, health care. I think, Senator Durbin, there's actually something you and I agree on here. Judicial activism is bad from either side, and no matter what somebody's policy preferences are about the ACA, I completely agree with you. They shouldn't be trying to undermine the policy that Congress enacted. So you and I agree on that, and I I embrace that view of a judge's role wholeheartedly. Well, I'm not so sure he agrees with her, but she turned the tables on him very deftly with uh, with that response to his uh, comments. Joining me now to talk more about today's confirmation hearing and what the future may hold over the next couple of weeks, U.S. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, glad to be with you again. 
Your observations now after three days of confirmation hearings on Capitol Hill with uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. So Democrats have spent three days trying to make Americans afraid of a mother of seven professor, legal scholar, uh, is been remarkable, and uh, I don't know that it's been successful. Uh, quite frankly, anyone who's watched Amy Coney Barrett has seen someone very even-keeled, very focused on just the facts, very reassuring to say, I'm not opposed to any law. I am supportive of every law. Uh, let's look at the facts of this. But they uh, continue to find bizarre ways to attack her, and including my favorite bizarre ways to attack her, that she will somehow take away women's rights. And as a woman sitting there, that seems odd, more than the constant attack that's happened today, that she's somehow not for racial equality and will turn back Brown versus Board of Education and uh, bring us back to racial segregation when she is a mother of multiracial children. Uh, it just seems very bizarre what they're trying to accomplish, and it just doesn't pass the most basic smell test. Yeah, it's kind of like we've got these talking points. We've got to use them somehow. We've tested them, and they kind of work. Um, but they didn't test them in this particular case because they don't work against uh, Judge Barrett. No, they, they don't, and especially this constant diatribe that she's somehow racially motivated and uh, that she's going to take away Brown versus Board of Education or take away voting rights for African-Americans uh, when she has two black children. So it, it's just very odd and very bizarre and quite frankly, not believable. One of the issues that it's it's been subtle, not as blatant as it was before, uh, when she was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit, we had the direct attacks on her faith. We had uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. In fact, Bobby, do we have that clip handy? Um, I just want to remind our listeners of the attacks that she underwent last time as it pertained to her faith. This time it seems to be a little more subtle. Here's Diane Feinstein, last confirmation hearing for Judge Barrett. When you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. That dogma being her Catholic faith. Did, did the Democrats learn a lesson from that? You know, I think they did learn a lesson from that, at least for this particular hearing, uh, as you as you know as well. Uh, also in that same hearing, Senator Durbin asked her if she was an Orthodox Catholic, uh, which I thought was just another little hidden way to be able to poke it and say, are you one of those kind of Catholics uh, that are out there? Uh, there have been multiple attacks that have just moved to the media. Uh, the Associated Press did a horrible hit piece uh, that was printed all over the country uh, saying that uh, she's she's not just a Catholic, uh, but she's a charismatic Catholic, and she believes in family, and she gathers uh, to be able to help our neighbors. And they really depicted her as a cult-like individual uh, that's in this secret society group. Uh, what they've done is they've moved it from a public venue to then dispersing it across the country with willing media to be able to keep that up. But then they've just not done those questions from the dias, but kept that diatribe up nationally. Yeah, they're kind of letting their, their surrogates, as you said, the media do that on the outside. The the one issue that has been front and center, you made reference to it, is their focus on the, the policy issues. I mean, every one of them working off the same talking points, talking about how she, uh, you know, they've told the stories of their constituents and their uh, reliance upon Obamacare and how she is going to take that away. 
This is revealing, I think, also for the American public that the Democratic Party, they, or the, the Democrats, they, they see the, the Supreme Court as their means of imposing legislation or their policy ideas on the nation. I think that's been front and center in this confirmation hearing. I think it's been very front and center, and it, it's been a good conversation uh, on the Constitution for individuals that want to be able to watch it. Uh, and to be able to really have a better understanding of the role of our government, not only of federalism, of uh, the responsibility of the federal government nationally to do some things and state and local governments to do others. It's been a very clear articulation of why that's important, but it's been a very clear articulation as well to say in our government we have two political branches, the Congress and the executive branch. They're elected by the people. They talk about political things. They bring up policies, and they pass them. And then we have one branch of government, that is non-political, that is non-policy, and that is the court's. It is not the court's responsibility to be able to be empathetic or the court's responsibility to say, this is a good idea, it should be implemented, or this would be a nice thing to do. Those are all things that Congress and the president have the responsibility to do in our government. The courts have one responsibility, to state what the law is. This is what the law is, not what it should be or what it could be, but what is it? And uh, that's really the debate that's going on, because Democrats feel like if they can't pass something in Congress, they should find a judge somewhere in the country who will be empathetic and will impose that through the courts. Conservatives believe that, yes, these social issues that we struggle with as a nation should be debated and should be discussed, but it should happen in Congress, and we should pass those things as a people together to be able to create new law, not have some judge in some court in some town far away, just make the unilateral decision and impose it on all of America. That's what makes America so powerful and great for more than two centuries, is this separation of powers. And uh, this debate uh, for the last three days has been a good example and a good teaching moment for the nation to know we do want non-policy people on the courts that will just call balls and strikes uh, right and wrong based on the law. Yeah, absolutely. It has been a great teaching moment. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, my guest, talking about day three of the confirmation hearing of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Talking about this topic of legislating from the bench, I found it fascinating. Uh, I had a hard time keeping uh, keeping from laughing as a number of the Democrats, including I made reference to earlier to Dick Durbin, talking about how, well, we don't want activists on the court. Uh, and, and it was all, of course, in context of Obamacare, the ACA. Now, the issue before the court on that case is not health care as a policy, rather the constitutionality of the way that law was passed and implemented, which is a question for the court. That's correct. And it has been interesting for uh, my Democratic colleagues to over and over again bemoan the possibility that there could be conservative activist judges uh, onto the court, which uh, obviously that doesn't even exist. A conservative activist judge, uh, a conservative judge that looks at what the law is and makes a decision based on the text of the statute. Uh, they're not trying to be activists. The activists are actually on the left, what is now called a pragmatic judge. That's the new trendy term out there on the left, is to say this judge is pragmatic, basically saying what just needs to be done. Uh, so you have the side-by-side perspectives of a pragmatic judge that looks at the law and says, it doesn't really say this, but it needs to be done, so let's be pragmatic and just do it right here from the bench. 
or the textualist originalist uh, that will look at the Constitution. And that's what Amy Coney Barrett uh, is saying. And she is saying, I, I, I may have desires and wishes and policy interests. Uh, she's a person of faith. She's a person with her own perspectives. But when she puts on the black robe, she has to hide all of those things and to be able to say, what does the law say? Uh, so this this interesting national debate, I hope, will continue to be able to expose two differences of opinion, uh, one group trying to be able to focus on let's follow the Constitution that's led us well for more than two centuries, uh, rather than let's uh, just dispose of the Constitution and say what needs to be done, and we'll just find some judge somewhere that will just implement a policy that meets our preferences rather than actually take it through Congress and the American people. Right, which has been happening for far too long. Um, th- tomorrow, more testimony from those for and against, and then a committee vote. And then I'm hearing that uh, we could see a, a vote in the full Senate by possibly next weekend, the weekend of the, the 24th or early that following week. Is that accurate? That is very likely. So as, as the Senate uh, rules are, the week, one week after the committee finishes its hearing, which is on Thursday, next Thursday is the vote in the hearing. And then after the committee brings it out, as soon as the next day, it could come to the floor of the Senate for 30 hours of debate. Three days later, we'll have the vote. All right, Senator James Langford, as always, great to have you on the program. Appreciate it. Look forward to getting a chance to visit with you again. All right, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Also, if you've not yet taken the challenge to... Pray, vote, and stand. You can do so either at TonyPerkins.com or text the word vote to 53445. 53445, the word vote to take the challenge. All right, don't go away. Coming back with Scott Rashmussen after this. Don't go away. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. 
Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. All right, reminding reminding you, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or PrayVoteStand.org. With just 20 days until the election, what impact, if any, is the confirmation hearing having on voters? I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have already voted. But what trends are we seeing in the polls? And, uh, and quite frankly, can we trust the polls? Join me now to talk about all of this, Scott Rasmussen, pollster and publisher of scottrasmussen.com. Scott, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, this is a crazy season we're in right now. Well, it's been crazy. For, it's been crazy all year. Uh, this is a <laughs> wild year. It's, uh, it's just when you think, Something you know, nothing else can happen. You get a vacancy on the Supreme Court. How is that impacting the the voters? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said that would be a focal point of a discussion in the closing phase of this campaign. Uh, but it was a little bit overwhelmed when the president tested positive for COVID. I mean, it's just it's it's amazing how many stories we have come up this year. How many different news cycles there have been. Uh, what we know right now is that. A solid plurality of voters nationwide believe that Judge Barrett should be confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, many of them do wish the, you know, the nomination had come later, but they believe she is qualified and should be confirmed. Uh, the next part of the question, though, about what impact it will have on the election itself, a little bit trickier. I think the biggest impact is there are a number of Republican and conservative-leaning voters who are uncomfortable with President Trump, with the way he carries himself, the way he conducts himself, the way he tweets. Um, and the, what's happening right now is Judge Barrett is reminding them of the other side of, of uh, what it means to have Donald Trump as president. So every day they hear bad news about things they don't like about it, but right now the focus uh, the, you know, the Supreme Court justices and that whole issue was a big part of getting the president elected in the first place. And it appears to be solidifying his support a bit right now. So it's kind of taking the focus off the personality of the president, president, putting it on to the policies that he has promised and enacted. Yes. And I, you know, maybe not quite that strong a shift, but it's, uh, if you were someone who was in that group that wasn't really sure four years ago, 
uh, all of a sudden you're in a place where you're un- you're just being reminded. Yes, there's a lot of things I'm, I don't like about this president, but there are some really big, important things that I do like, and uh, this nomination is one of them. Uh, again, it's it's part of the larger context. I mean, this issue of what's happening with the pandemic is still the top issue in the campaign for 2020. So let's talk about that for a minute before we get into some of your state uh, analysis is where did people see this pandemic going? Did they feel like we're over the hill or with the president contracting it? Does this bring it all back to the forefront again? For two months before the announcement came about the president testing positive, pessimism about the pandemic was declining every single week. I mean, we were seeing steady progress. People still very concerned, and especially older Americans being very concerned. Uh, But there was a sense that we were making progress. However, the moment uh, the word got out about the president testing positive, uh, pessimism spiked. And and it's it's eased off a little bit uh, in the last week. Um, But, you know, there's a pretty clear correlation. The more concerned people are about the pandemic, the worse it is for the president's reelection prospects. Uh, And so this uh, that news from a week or so ago really did have an impact. Uh, It can change. And I think it's hard. You know, we all want simple answers. Um, We we want to know what we can and cannot do. We want to know yes or no. But on the pandemic, Uh, We're all still trying to sort it out ourselves right now. What people are looking for is something they're not hearing from either leader. They don't want extreme lockdowns, and they don't want to go on as if nothing has happened. They're looking for ways to adapt, to recognize this has been a serious uh, challenge and that it's going to be with us for a while, but now how do we adapt and move forward? Very interesting. Uh, With the president contracting the virus, but then – overcoming the virus very rapidly, quite frankly, uh, more rapidly than I overcame it. Um, is, is, what is that saying to voters? Are they, are they interpreting that in any form or fashion, that this virus is not maybe as bad as people say? You can get it, you can survive, and you can go on. That we're not, We don't have to live in such uh, you know, fear that paralyzes as, as we have in the last seven months. I, you know, I don't know that it's that direct a connection, but it does it does uh, tend to support that statement and that trend. Uh, one of the most effective, I, I moved to Florida, uh, which, you know, we see a few more television commercials about the campaign than we did when I was in New York City. The race is a little more competitive here. I would and say so. uh, one of the one of the ads that I've seen a lot uh, talks about the president, you know, uh, has recovered or is re- has recovered and America is too. And it seems to capture the right tone in that unlike so much of the messaging that came from conservatives early on, um, it acknowledges there's something to be concerned about. You know, yes, the president did come down with this. He was infected, but he's coming back. And that I think is a is a good way to talk about it. Uh, we have to acknowledge, and again, especially among older Americans, this is a, yeah. a frightening pandemic. Uh, to downplay it or pretend it's not uh, is very harmful. Yeah. Uh, one final question for you, Scott. Any trends we're seeing in some of the key battleground states? You know, it all comes down to turnout. Uh, I'm re- releasing new battleground state polls every day at politicaliq.com. Uh, in Florida and in North Carolina, two absolutely must-win states for the president. Uh, he's down by two points right now. 
But I, I'm releasing different turnout models because we're never quite sure exactly who's going to show up in the midst of this pandemic. With the strong turnout model in both those states, the president comes out on top. Um, and this is a reminder, you know, the election is not over. Uh, mil- yeah, so millions of people have already cast their ballots, but, but 10 times as many are still to cast them in the future. If it is more of the president's base, then he's looking good in those states um, and is competitive in Pennsylvania. If the Republican and conservative turnout is down a little bit, it's going to be a very good night for Joe Biden. Yep, all comes down to turnout. Scott Rasmussen, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, also, Scott, uh, author of a new book that's been out a little while, not too long. The sun is still rising. Politics has failed, but America will not. You can find out more about that, TonyPerkins.com. All right, when we come back, uh, General Jerry Boykin's going to stop in, talk about uh, this weekend's men's conference in Florida. Don't go away. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you've not yet downloaded the Stand Firm app where you can keep up with not only Washington Watch, no matter where you might be in the world, but also gives you action items, for instance, when something happens like this confirmation hearing and people need to respond, we give you uh, alerts, that notifications that you can take action. Because as I've said many, many times, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. And so uh, go to the App Store, download the Stand Firm app, 
or go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, coming up this weekend in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, is the um, Stand Courageous Men's Conference. It will, it's being presented or hosted by the Treasure Coast Christian Alliance. Join me now to talk more about this. Our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Executive Vice President here at the Family Research Council and a 36-and-a-half-year veteran of the United States Army. General, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Tony. It was good to be with you Sunday night in uh, California at the Freedom Sunday event, and we're going to be together Saturday on the other coast, on the East Coast, down in the, I mean, we're traveling the country here as we're in the election cycle. But this uh, is the Stand Courageous Men's Conference. Tell our listeners about what will be taking place this Saturday and how they can be a part of it. Yeah, it, we're going to start at uh, at 8 o'clock. The doors open at 7 o'clock, and uh, we're going to start the program at 8 o'clock. And we've got, uh, you and I will be speaking. We've got uh, Bishop Larry Jackson uh, who spent uh, about 20 years with Promise Keepers, uh, African-American bishop from Charlotte. And then we've got uh, Joaquin Molina, a Hispanic uh, pastor from down in the Miami area there. And then we've got some of our own staff that will be doing uh, breakout sessions on some things that are really important to men today. And then finally, we've got uh, some of the pastors in that area there that will be doing a panel discussion with you and uh, we are expecting a, a, a good crowd there. In fact, we're told that there's over 300 now, and there, we're, we're probably going to go well over 400 people. So uh, we've got to, you've got today, uh, tomorrow, and Friday to uh, get registered by going to our standcourageous.org, standcourageous.org, and you'll find the registration or go to FRC. Dot org and you can find registration for the Stand Courageous event in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, and uh, and we will take walk-ups too. So uh, if you don't get registered, uh, show up anyhow and get registered there at the uh, at, at the event itself on Saturday morning. So, General, for those that would say, you know, look, we're in an election cycle, got all these things happening. Why why are you doing a men's conference? I mean, shouldn't we be doing something else? <laughs> That's exactly why we are doing it. We're trying to get men motivated. Men need to be motivated to not only be what God's called them to be, but to certainly to get involved and engaged in what's happening in this nation because it's not just about their future. It's about their children's future and their grandchildren's future. And, and le- listen, this is the most critical election certainly in my lifetime, and I do study history, and I see no other period, maybe – the election of uh, Abraham Lincoln, possibly, uh, which turned the tide of the war and certainly eliminated slavery in this country. But other than that, I see no period and no, no, no time in our history where it was more important for people to get out and vote their values. And uh, these men are so key to this. And so that's what we're trying to do is get them motivated to not only vote themselves, but to, to stimulate the people around them, their buddies, their families, and, and get get out to the polls. No, it, it really comes down to the issue of leadership, being a leader in your home, being a leader in your church, and being a leader in your community. And I know that that's a message that runs counter to the 
you know, the political thought of the day. Men should not assert themselves as leaders, but that's God's design. It is God's design, and that's, uh, you know, we we base this whole uh, conference on a book that we've put out, that Family Research Council has put out, and it's called Man to Man, and it is not politically correct. And that is one of the things that you talk about in your presentation, I talk about in mine, and other leaders like uh, Bishop Jackson talk about it. A man has to be a leader. We come out of the womb meant to be warriors and leaders, and uh, so many men have walked away from that responsibility now, particularly in the home, uh, because the feminist movement has so decimated men and confused them as to what they're supposed to be. They are leaders, and they need to step up right now and, and take the mantle of leadership. And that's what Stand Courageous is uh, all about. General Jerry Boykin, looking forward to uh, to seeing you in Port St. Lucie, Florida. I'll see you there. All right. And, uh, and he'll be there, and I'll be there. And hopefully if you're with uh, within driving distance, you'll be there too. Bring your son, bring your grandson, bring a neighbor. Uh, these are powerful conferences. We've, we've only had... Uh, one other one since the um, pandemic broke out, we did it. And we then we also live streamed it uh, that particular one and had thousands online. It's powerful. It's life transforming because it's focused on the Word of God. All right. When we come back, we're going to uh, dissect one of the issues that the Democrats have been using this week, actually since the very beginning of Amy Coney Barrett's announcement of her nomination, saying that she is a threat to. Obamacare or the ACA, and by extension, your health care. We're going to talk about that with Congressman Roger Marshall, who was the chairman of the task force for the Republican Study Committee that has presented a solid health care plan. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. 
Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. There, there were a few uh, humorous moments uh, in the confirmation hearing of Amy Coney Barrett. And, uh, you know, for those that say conservatives don't have a sense of humor, well, they just don't know conservatives. Um, actually, Josh Hawley, uh, kind of mocking his Democratic colleagues with all of their efforts to try to get Amy Coney Barrett to make um, comment on a hypothetical that they would put before where she had clearly said that she is not able to speak to a case that might come before the court. But here's a clip of um, Josh Hawley uh, today in the Senate Judiciary Committee for the hearing. I think it's only fair that that I ask whether hypothetically speaking, just hypothetically, if there were, let's say, a vice president of the United States who hypothetically had an adult son, who hypothetically worked for a foreign oligarch, who then sold access to his father, the vice president, and his father then intervened in a case to make sure that that oligarch wasn't prosecuted, hypothetically, would that violate, would that constitute the kind of foreign corruption that the Constitution's concerned about? I can't answer hypotheticals. Well, I thought you might say that, and I'm glad you don't and won't, because who knows, that case may come before you. A uh, little, little uh, tongue-in-cheek humor there, but it was, uh, there, was some, there was some other light moments. Uh, but going back to an area of, of focus, we've, we've been talking about this today. It's been the issue all week, and that is how the left sees the, the court as their uber-legislature. This is how they get their policy ideas imposed upon America, because they're so unpopular, they can't do it legislatively or democratically. So uh, I, I want to play one more clip uh, as I set this stage to have a conversation about health care. Uh, this is Senator uh, Ted Cruz talking about what the job of a judge really is. Judge Barrett, in your view, is it the responsibility of a federal judge to implement policy positions that they might happen to agree with? That's your job, not a judge's. I very much agree with you. You know, it's easy for someone watching these proceedings to assume 
both sides want the same thing, just on opposite partisan lines. It's easy for someone watching to assume, well, the Democrats, they want Democrat judges to implement their policy, and the Republicans, they want Republican ju judges to implement their policy. As easy as that is to assume, I, I don't believe that is accurate. Not accurate at all. Uh, what we have is we have conservative policy ideas that have been enacted legislatively. We have liberal ideas that generally emanate from the court. Now, one of the issues, as I said, has been the issue of health care. And like the media, where they've been trying to, you know, it's just this fear-mongering, where they've been trying to scare the American public about the coronavirus. Now, we were just talking about that with Scott Rasmussen. I know it's real. As I've said before, I had it survived. The president had it. He survived. Uh, look, we have many serious illnesses that take people's lives, not making light of it uh, in any form or fashion. I've got a daughter who was an ER nurse. It worked with all the patients. I get was getting daily reports. I understand it's real, but it's not to the point where we, as we talked about yesterday, we've never responded to a pandemic in this form and in this fashion. And as Doctors, scientists, professional, medical professionals on the left side of the political or ideological ledger are saying, this is killing us. This is killing us. So they use that to scare the American public into compliance. Well, the Democrats now are using the same play, the same page out of the playbook. They're trying to scare the American public saying that if Amy Coney Barrett is um, confirmed, they're going to lose their health care because there's a case regarding the uh, Obamacare that's going to be before the court. And so she's going to be against it because she's a conservative, and that means people are going to lose their health care. So that's why they've been telling all these stories about people who are relying upon Obamacare. But here's the thing. They're saying that and implying that the Republicans don't care about health care and don't have policies that address health care, and quite frankly, that is not true as well. Join me now to talk more about this, Congressman Roger Marshall of Kansas. In fact, he is the was the chairman of the task force for health care from the Republican Study Committee that just a couple of months ago put out a comprehensive plan for health care. And he joins us now. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's always good to be with you. It's a beautiful fall day here in Kansas. Well, are the are the leaves turning color just yet? Yeah, yeah, they're just starting to to do that, and uh, it's duck season and a whole lot of good things. So we're 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 ready for the fall to get here. Well, I know that you don't have time to hunt ducks right now because uh, <laughs> you're you're quite busy dealing with legislative matters and also a campaign of your own that you're running. Exactly. Um, Let's talk about this issue of health care, because all the conversation that's being taken place this week, as if Amy Coney Barrett, the Republicans and President Trump want to take people's health care away. The reality is what the Republicans are trying to do is reform health care so that it reduces cost, increases options for the patient and the quality of the care. You know, that's right, Tony. Even pre-COVID, there was still 28 million Americans without health insurance of some time. We can do better than this. 
when the Republican Study Committee went over to, to the president's office, to the Oval Office, and we sat down with him to kind of discuss, and this has been three years ago, to discuss what our policy would look like. The first thing the president said was, Roger, whatever you do, take care of pre-existing conditions. And I have to tell you, before COVID, every day I woke up trying to think, well, what's the best way to do this? And that's exactly what we, we came up with. And, you know, this is personal for every one of us, Tony. You know, my wife developed uh, an autoimmune problem in our second pregnancy. She'll have that the rest of her life. I've delivered over 5,000 babies. The most common pre-existing condition in the world is pregnancy, as you know it. So we want to make sure we take care of pre-existing conditions, and I think we've got a good plan to do that and, and can talk more about it, but I'll kind of stop and, and see, see what you, you think your listeners want to hear about. Well, I want to go back to that point of pre-existing yeah. conditions because that's what we've heard over and over and over and over again is that the, the, the Republicans have a plan. They don't want people with pre-existing conditions to get health care. Right. So uh, I do think we have a great solution, and we called, I call it my belts and suspenders approach to it. I, I, the belt that I'm talking about is we would go back to previous HIPAA law. So that was what before, before ACA, most of healthcare was gunner, governed under this big law called HIPAA. And I think most of your listeners would agree that healthcare worked very well if you were going from job to job, that pre existing conditions were protected. So we want to use that same law that protects going from job to job to go into the individual market. So that's the belt. And then the suspenders is a partially federally funded reinsurance pool. So if you're in that individual market that we're talking about and you hit a certain dollar amount, you would go into this reinsurance pool. And, and that alone is going to start driving down the cost of health care if we knew that. And then part of the puzzle, too, though, is, is maintaining quality but driving down the cost of health care. And the way we do that is to, is to empower patients. Uh, we empower patients by giving them more transparency, by promoting competition, by giving them choices, by encouraging innovation, by allowing patients to become consumers again, and briefly stated, use pre-tax dollars for almost any circumstance for your health care, whether it's through a health care savings account, upping those limits, something called a health care reimbursement account. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I bet some of your, your uh, listeners use health care ministry plans. And as mm -hmm. a doctor, those turned out, turned out very strong, I think. But there was only four of those grandfathered in somewhere around 2004, and the Democrats shut them off. So we can't have any more of them. So I think the health care ministries and association health care plans are also opportunities out there. But the whole concept here, again, is to empower patients, to give them more choices, to allow them to control their health care more. So it, it's a, a, both a market-based approach. And, of course, we don't really have a, a, a completely um, private market health care system anymore. It's It's been so blended with the government so but for instance when you talk about transparency this is a, a prime example of what could happen under transparency that means that a patient will know what they're paying for for instance if you're going to if you get charged for a, one of those paper gowns they give you and they charge you fifty dollars you can say hey wait a minute fifty dollars for that yeah. but you don't see those charges because you're not the you're not paying the bill in most cases and so they just they, they jack these prices up and there's no accountability really for the 
for the providers and the insurance companies that are in the middle of this. Right. So to me, transparency would mean, let's say you walk into your orthopedic surgeon and they say you need a joint replaced, a hip replaced. And that surgeon says, you, here's three different hospitals I do surgery at. So transparency to me would mean that my office manager, when you leave that appointment to say, here's your three options, here's what your charges would be, here's your out-of-pocket, and, and also your, the quality of those three particular hospitals as well. Consumers are much smarter than Democrats think they are. That, that consumers, if we give them the, the right information, consumers will figure it out, and you can choose the place where it gets the best quality and the lower price at the same time. Once, once you, like you're implying here, once consumers have some buy-in, they need a financial motivation to even look at that and then do some shopping, just like you and I do if we're taking our family out to dinner or to go get our kids a new pair of shoes. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and it just it brings the consumer back into it, and it puts you in closer proximity with your health care provider and the decisions that need to be made. It empowers the consumer, the customer, the, the patient in this case. Right. Tony, I think it's real important that we also compare and contrast what the Democrat solution is. Both parties now want to repeal the ACA. Let me say that again. Both parties want to repeal the ACA. The Democrats want to replace it with Medicare for all, and they're using this code word government option, which is really Nancy Pelosi speak for, for Medicare for all. And what Medicare for all will do, the seniors need to look out I, that Medicare for all would dilute the dollars that are that are that we've dedicated towards seniors who have earned that Medicare. Uh, Medicare for all would also decrease the health care veterans would get and would push people out of the health insurance they get through their job. And, and your listeners, it's really important that they know this. Medicare for all will use federal funds for abortion, and that's a non-starter for many of us. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a part of the issue with the um, Obamacare is that it's been funding that, and it's not under the Hyde provisions that keep tax dollars from going to fund abortion. I, I want to shift gears here, and we just got a few minutes left, uh, Congressman Marshall. I want to shift gears to the confirmation hearing. Obviously, you're watching that closely because you may soon yeah. be sitting in the United States Senate. Um, your, your thoughts on uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett and how she's done so far in this confirmation hearing? So, well, I mean, doesn't Amy Coney Barrett represent the values that you and I, that are, that are, that your listeners think are important? Uh, values. She's, she's a mother of seven. Uh, she's, she's obviously a, a person of faith and she's a constitutionalist. She's a person that wants to apply the law and not write legislation. Uh, that's just, I think, music to our ears. Whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, a moderate, an independent, we want a justice who will literally apply the law and not make up new policy. Um, boy, she's one of the sharpest people I've seen in a long, long, long time. And, uh, you know, the, the rumor is she's just as a quality of a person uh, as she seems to be there on te television. So we're very proud of her. We think that she'll be an outstanding member of the Supreme Court. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I was very impressed as I watched her. No notes in front of her. And, I mean, she must have a photographic memory. She was citing cases, and I know she made reference to, I think, uh, on the Seventh Circuit that she's been a part of 600 cases, quite a few, quite a few in the two years. 
Um, but she was able to recite details of some of these specific cases from memory, which was uh, quite frankly impressive. I have a hard time remembering what I had for lunch yesterday. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think the, the key point, though, is that she is an originalist. She's, she uh, will abide by the Constitution, and I think that's what gives us hope that we'll have a court that will allow the people through their elected representatives to set the policies of this country and not, you know, nine people wearing black robes. You know, absolutely, Tony. And I think, again, just for your listeners, they need to understand why the Democrats are opposed to her. They want to pack the court with liberal judges who would rubber stamp their unconstitutional laws. I can't believe how much legislation I've seen from Nancy Pelosi that would threaten our Second Amendment, that would take away our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion. And we cannot have a, a Supreme Court that will, will rubber stamp those. So this is a moment in time where Americans need to stand up, that we need constitutionalist Supreme Court judges. Absolutely. Congressman uh, Roger Marshall, thanks so much for joining us today. You bet, Tony. Always enjoy being on. Have a great day. You too. Congressman Roger Marshall of uh, Kansas. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. And if you have not yet taken the challenge, text the word VOTE to 53445. That's 53445, the word VOTE, or go to PrayVoteStand.org. In fact, why don't you go there about 8 o'clock tonight because you'll be able to catch the latest edition of Pray Vote Stand tonight. We'll be, uh, we'll be on the air, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. Until next time. I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.